Hey, good evening. Welcome. Nice to have you here again joining us at St. Louis Young Adult BSF. This is our third week. We're looking at Matthew 2 tonight. Let me pray for us and we'll get started taking a look at the second chapter of this great book. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have blessed us with your word. Lord, thank you for the way that Matthew reveals to us that the scriptures anticipated Jesus's arrival in ways that people expected and in ways that people did not expect. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn about him through the gospel according to Matthew. We pray all this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. So I'm wondering, have you ever ordered something online? Maybe not Amazon Prime, because Amazon Prime comes pretty quick, but have you ever ordered something where there was a longer time that you had to wait to receive that item? During that time, from when the order was placed to when the order is received, you have this period of wondering. You wonder if maybe was my address right? Has the package been delivered? Has someone taken the package? Is it lost in the mail? Where is it? Did Has it not left the warehouse yet? Is it on back order? We, we enter into this realm of the unknown, right? From the time when, it, when the, the, you hit order to the time when it actually shows up on your doorstep. And I think in a certain sense, that is what happened in, a, in a maybe a greater way for people who were looking in the Old Testament scriptures to understand when would Jesus arrive? When would he get here? Have we missed him? Did he already come? Is he not going to come for a long time? Where in the in the course of history is the Christ, the promised one from the Old Testament, going to arrive on earth? And I think that as Matthew was going around and as Matthew was fulfilling his duty of the Great Commission of teaching and baptizing and making disciples of all nations, Matthew probably ran into some pretty interesting theories about who Jesus was uh, or is. You know, maybe he was a great teacher. He was a prophet. He was someone who was blessed with the gift of healing. Maybe he was an imposter. Maybe there were people that thought he was just another failed Messiah. But regardless, Matthew is thinking about people's response to Jesus, and and he is writing this gospel now to help people understand that you know, Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. He is the expected one. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. And he wants to provide proof to help people accept that reality. We saw Matthew start doing that last week in the genealogy, letting us know that Matthew is not only Abraham's descendant, but he's David's descendant. We also saw the way that Jesus was named, uh, the two different names that we saw for Jesus. First of all, the name Jesus, which is the Hebrew name Joshua, Yahweh saves, and the name Emmanuel, God with us. We also saw the, the Holy Spirit's intervention to bring about the Son of Man, someone who was from a woman, but yet the, whose true father was God to sort of break the mold of sinfulness. So we're seeing some of the uniqueness of Jesus as Matthew writes the gospel explaining to us who is Jesus? Who was this man 
who walked on the earth and who taught so powerfully. And as we go into Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see Matthew continue to do that. He's going to give us two sections in Matthew 2. The first part, the story of the Magi, verses 1 through 12. We're going to see these wise men from the east who come and honor Jesus as the one born King of the Jews. And then as we go from 13 through the end of the chapter, Matthew's going to give us three points uh, of Old Testament prophecy that are fulfilled around the time of Jesus's birth that help prove that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, the one that we have been waiting for. And that's the real lesson this week from our scripture is to understand that Jesus is the one. He is the one king, the one prophet, the one priest that God promised to send in the pages of the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Open up your Bibles, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. We're going to look at the wise men. We've been sort of following the theme this year of unexpected, and and certainly Jesus is the unexpected king. Uh, And there's, there's, there's an element to that where the people weren't expecting Jesus to be king. God knew what he was doing, right? God was anticipating this. He was expecting this. But we're going to see an unexpected visit from the wise men. So we we don't know a ton about the wise men. We know that they were from the east. Uh, We know that this is after Jesus had been born. Some amount of time has has elapsed since the end of chapter 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So these wise men, they're from the east, maybe from the region of Babylon, so east of the land of Jerusalem, so we have to orient ourselves to a different east than we're used to. Possibly the the area that we think of now is Iraq or Iran. Uh, This is roughly an 800-mile journey that these men would have made in order to come to the city of Jerusalem. The reason that they came is that they saw a star, the star that announced someone being born king of the Jews. And so where did they come to? They came to the capital city, the place where the kings used to reign in the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and they saw a star. And and we we don't know exactly what star this was. We don't know if this was a... Certainly the star had a supernatural element because of the timing of the star. But there's a lot of information in scripture that we can look to to help understand the significance of this symbol. Certainly the wise men correctly identified the star as being the event that pre-announced the birth of the one who would be born king of the Jews. But let's go back in the Bible. Let's think about where the audience, Matthew's audience might have gone to as they were thinking about the star language and star symbols. Let's go back to Genesis 15:5 when God took Abraham outside and said, "Look towards the heaven and number the stars, if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be." So again, there's that star symbol and the promise to Abraham, his offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the heavens. Uh, Another one, Numbers 24, the Israelites are on their way to the promised land after 40 years in the desert, and there is a, uh, a person who has been hired to curse them, his name is Balaam, and he tries to curse them, he can't, here's what he says, I see him now, I see him but not now, I behold him 
but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This is from Numbers 24. So again, we have this prophecy that Balaam is speaking of, not the multitude of stars, but of a single star who will rise, and the, the scepter will rise out of Israel. So this, this star symbolism has been used throughout the, the Old Testament to indicate that, that someone is coming who would be unique to be able to lead the nation of Israel. Now, certainly we know that uh, God the Son, from the Genesis account, was active when the stars were made. Jesus was present in creation. He had a role that he played. We know this from Genesis 1. We know this from John 1. Uh, and, and probably, if we, could, if we could really step back and investigate all of creation, there were probably many things in creation that were announcing this totally unique event of, of God becoming man here on earth. Now, we know that the star event was certainly one of those things that the wise men were observing. They were studiers of, they were students of the stars, and they correctly understood that, yes, the time of this king to be born has occurred. The stars have revealed it. I would caution you about relying upon the stars or the planets to predict the more mundane and small events of our lives. The birth of Jesus, the the incarnation of God, was a unique event in history, and certainly the heavens and maybe other natural phenomenon occurred to announce uh, Jesus' birth. But I'd be worried about using the stars to interpret, you know, should I take this job or not take this job? The wise men, though, they got it absolutely right. And whatever star they saw, it, it, it did not necessarily lead them directly to Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem the capital city, and when they were there, they encountered a king, someone who was made king of the Jews by the Romans, and that person was Herod. Now, Herod was already a king of the Jews, not the king of the Jews. Herod had three children. Herod had done uh, many massive building projects in the land of Israel. He had built massive palaces for himself in many places. He had rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. He had rebuilt the, the Jewish temple that they used to worship God in. And it was magnificent. Historians of the day tell us that Herod's temple was truly awesome. And uh, the wise men, when they came into the city, the city was in a bit of an uproar, as we look at uh, verses 2 and 3. They were not expecting the king. Uh, whatever announcement the wise men had determined in the stars, the people of Israel were not paying attention to the same information. Uh, God had revealed what he was going to do, not to the people of Israel, not to the scribes, not to the Pharisees, but to these men from the east who had now taken this journey. They had come to Jerusalem and they they figured this is the place where we're going to find the king. Now, uh, Herod knew that the wise men probably weren't coming to seek him. It didn't seem like he was the fulfillment of their quest. But he brought in the scribes. He brought in those who were learned in the scriptures. And he asked them specifically, where do the scriptures, the, the, the books that we know as the Old Testament today, where do they reveal that the Christ would be born? And so as they go through to look at the scriptures, the scriptures point to a very specific place, namely Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small village, which was located on the outskirts of Jerusalem, roughly six miles away. Now, I think one of the, one of the, the ideas here that we can glean from this is that creation, the stars, the, the magnificence of the universe, there, there's some general revelation about God that we can glean from what God has made. And certainly in this situation, the wise men knew that something significant was happening in Israel, and so they came. 
but they needed the guidance of Scripture to be able to firmly understand what was happening. And that is what they received in Herod's palace in Jerusalem, the name of a city where the Christ would be born, namely Bethlehem. Uh, the passage that is given to us in Matthew 2.6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is from the book of Micah. And we, we might look at this with what we know about the Old Testament and, and what we've learned so far and say, well, this is talking about King David. Uh, and certainly, this you know, Micah was alive in the time of Hezekiah. So thinking about King David would have been history from Micah's standpoint, because Hezekiah was one of David's children. You can figure out where by going back to Matthew 1 and seeing where David is and seeing where Hezekiah is. They are both in the line of Christ. But Hezekiah was much later than David, and so as Micah, operating in the time of King Hezekiah, he was looking forward to another king, another ruler, another one who would come, similar to David from Bethlehem, similar to David, uh, a shepherd, similar to David, a ruler over the people, but yet, but yet more. If we go back and if we look at the, the verse in Micah, Micah wrote, talks about the one who is coming forth as being of old, uh, from ancient days. So this king, this promised one that was coming, was going to be like David, but yet different than David. And, and even this text, Matthew is using this text from Micah as a proof that Jesus is the Christ, born in Bethlehem, in the line of David, in the place of David, but yet greater, greater than David. So Herod uh, hears about this, and Herod was interested in keeping power. We had seen that throughout his reign in history. He had killed many members of his own family, some of his own children, even his wife, to hold on to power. And so Herod has a plan which is going to be in opposition to the plan that God has. Herod had a lot of the same information that the wise men had. He had heard the scripture passage from Micah, Uh, And Herod decides, well, I've already missed Christmas. I can't cancel Christmas because Jesus has already been born, but maybe I can get Easter. Maybe I can wipe out the Christ and sustain or or make a way for my own throne to continue uh, for longer than, than it would be to have this usurper, this new person coming and take my throne away. We know that the, Jesus's ultimate plan is to save his people. We know looking back on history that it's through the cross But the time was not right for Jesus to die, and so Herod's plan cannot succeed. Well, the wise men uh, hear this information about Bethlehem, and they continue their journey. It's, again, six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem on foot, and it seems to me that, that they must have left, as soon as they got word about Bethlehem being the place, they were out the door. Because they saw the star on the way. So it would have been dark. It would have been nighttime. It, they didn't wait till morning to, to, to begin their journey to Bethlehem. They found out that Bethlehem's the place and the like, guys, we're going right now. Let's go to Bethlehem right now. They, they had heard from the scriptures. They continued their journey. And on the way to Bethlehem, on that six-mile journey, they saw the star again. Now, they must not have been seeing the star consistently on their way from the east But now they saw it again, and it is a period of great rejoicing. The faith of the wise men is rewarded as they took this next step on their journey, and they began to go to Bethlehem. And again, uh, one of the things that we often experience in our lives as followers of God is that our actions, our, our faith, our faithful action often precedes 
confirmation that we're on the right path. The wise men had to set out. They had to be on the way. And then they saw the star and they had great rejoicing. When they got to Bethlehem, they didn't find a palace. They didn't find a mighty, beautiful, massive temple, but probably a pretty modest house. What they did find was Mary and the child. And friends, this was the fulfillment of their journey. I don't know what happened in that moment. I don't know what the wise men saw to confirm that this was it. But, but at this point, they knew that their journey to find the one born king of the Jews was at a conclusion. They fell down and they worshipped and they presented their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There were three gifts. We don't know how many wise men there were. There were probably more than three. But we know that this is what they were looking for because they went home after this. After they went to Jerusalem and they saw King Herod and they, they nope, not done yet. Still need more to see, more to do. When they went to Bethlehem, when they saw Mary, when they saw Jesus, they were like, this is it. This is what the star had announced. They were warned in a dream not to visit Herod again, and they took an alternate route back to their homes. The principle for this first section is that God allows Jesus to be found by those who truly seek him. God allows Jesus to be found by those who truly seek him. Herod was a false seeker of the Messiah. He was seeking him for his own personal gain, ultimately to murder him, to preserve his own throne. Whereas the wise men were truly interested in finding Jesus, and they did. The star miraculously led them to the exact house in Bethlehem where Mary and Jesus were. If you think about your GPS in your car, if you use a GPS or if you've seen a GPS use and you're trying to navigate somewhere, the GPS knows the route. The roads are there. The route has been established. The turns are marked. The interstates are labeled. The streets are labeled. Uh, on, on, the, on the GPS, you know, maybe the construction is highlighted. The vehicles on the side of the road are marked. You are on the journey. You know where you need to go. But you need to actually drive your car. You need to keep going. You need to keep moving. Uh, If you stop, if you turn around, if you turn off the path, you may not actually make it to where the GPS is taking you to. The Magi were presented with breadcrumbs, and they had to follow that trail. They had to take that journey of faith. They saw the star travel 100 miles. They were given information from Scripture. Go to Bethlehem. Only then... When their faith was put into action, were were they able to experience the fulfillment, the rejoicing, the joy that came at the end of their journey? If you think of your journey, your journey of following God, your journey of following the path that God has set before you, are you stopped? Are you off the track? Have you given up? Have you turned around? Uh, Have you decided that you're going back to wherever you started from? Have you decided that going forward is more than you can possibly do? Have there been obstacles that you've faced? Have there been people who have ridiculed you? Have there been people who have doubted that you would be able to accomplish whatever it is that God has before you? Have there been scoffers and those that would seek to impede your progress? I am sure that when the Magi were in Jerusalem, they were ridiculed by the Pharisees 
by the scribes who would who said surely the christ has not come you're way too soon or you've already missed him you've misunderstood the scriptures they were mocked there would have been a million reasons for them to stop and turn back and go back east and call it off but they kept going and what the magi experienced by continuing by pushing through difficulty by pushing through hardship by continuing in faith they experienced great joy uh, I love the way that the Bible phrases it. Uh, it's, it's like the word rejoicing is in there twice. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Verse 10, chapter 2. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There is so much joy, the author gives it to us twice. But have you experienced that? Have you experienced joy, not happiness? Have you experienced joy, not ease? Have you experienced joy as you've persisted in, in following God. There was a sense of deep satisfaction that the Magi had knowing that they were on the right path, that they were going the right way. Have you experienced that in your walk with the Lord? Let's take a look at our next section, verses 13 to 23. We're going to see fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And these are unexpected prophecies. Uh, these are, the, the, back up in, in, in Matthew 2, chapter 6, the prophecy we have there, what the, everybody accepted that this one, is about the Christ. Where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. The scribes knew it. The, the, the people around Herod knew it. There was a place that he was going to be born. It was going to be in Bethlehem. Everybody said, this prophecy is about the Messiah. Now, we're going to get some more prophecies that Matthew's going to give us here that are not the ones that we would have thought we're going to be anticipating the Messiah. But Matthew's going to make the point that there are prophecies that we expect that the Messiah is going to fulfill. And there's going to be some prophecies that we didn't know about that the Messiah, that Jesus, is going to fulfill. And he's going to give us three. Uh, We're going to see the the, the flight to Egypt as being one of those prophecies. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. We're going to also see another prophecy about the, the children being killed in Bethlehem. We're going to see a prophecy from Jeremiah fulfilled in those events. And then finally, we're going to see the return to Nazareth, verses not verses 19 to 23 as being another indicator of prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus's early life. He's still a child. He's still very young. He's traveling with his, with Mary and Joseph, but yet even in this time, prophecy is being fulfilled. So a lot of the drivers in this second verse is going to be driven by Herod's attempt to oppose the Messiah. Uh, Herod is trying to stop biblical prophecy from coming true. And he is opposing, he is standing opposed to the God of the Bible. He is standing opposed to what God is trying to accomplish. And and it is okay for us to think about him, maybe in a similar way as we think about the Pharaoh of the Exodus, who is standing opposed to what God is trying to accomplish. So if if you feel that there are connections between the Pharaoh of the Exodus and Herod of Jesus' young life in the the New Testament, those are probably accurate. Matthew is connecting some of the plight of the nation of Israel and also what Jesus is going to experience as a child. Let's take a look. Uh, Verses 13 through 15, the flight to Egypt. Before Herod can enact his mandate to kill the children in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, specifically Joseph, is warned in a dream. There's an angelic warning in verse 13. Leave. Take Take the child. Take his mother. Go to Egypt. Herod is going to try to kill 
the child. And once again, we see the faith of Joseph carried out. The angelic warning comes. Joseph's out the door. They are on their way to Egypt. Now, we have no idea how long Mary and Joseph and Jesus were in the land of Egypt. Herod was the ruler in the region of Judea from 37 BC to roughly 4 BC. We don't really know when the events uh, of the flight to Egypt happened, probably towards the end of his reign, but it could have been a couple years, it could have been a couple months, uh, but we don't know that, but we know that Joseph obeys, he obeys the angel, he's in Egypt, and then uh, we have this verse, we have this this prophecy that is going to be fulfilled from Hosea 11.1, 1, uh, and that is, out of Egypt I call my son. You can see that mentioned in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 2. But it is a quotation from Hosea. Again, Hosea is a prophet that was active during the time of King Hezekiah. Uh, Certainly, this was, uh, as we look back in Hosea, we can see that this was Hosea thinking back on the experience of the Exodus when God called his people out of the land of Egypt and there was the great plagues and overcoming Pharaoh. And and in a sense, what, what Matthew is saying is that in the same way, Jesus was called out of Egypt when the danger in the land of Israel had passed. Matthew was connecting the life of Jesus with the plight of the nation of of Israel, specifically with the Exodus. There's a connection that Jesus has with the Exodus, the departure from Egypt. Uh, Next section is verses 16 through 18. Herod strikes down the children in Bethlehem. Herod finally realizes that he was tricked. Herod is a man of action, Uh, particularly he is a man who is not afraid of killing a few people as long as it means that he will stay in power. And so Herod gives an order to kill the children in the the town, the village of of Bethlehem. Now, this probably wasn't hundreds of thousands of children who were killed. It was Bethlehem was a small village, 10 to 30 is maybe what Bible scholars estimate. Regardless, uh, this is a heinous act that Herod undertakes to maintain his control, his power, and and it reminds us of the Pharaoh of the Exodus and his mandate to throw male children into the Nile. We have a prophecy that is fulfilled here. It's given to us, Matthew 2, verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is a quotation from Jeremiah 31, 15. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet who was active during the reign of Jehoiakim. He was the last king of Judah before the exile. Rachel was one of the wives of Jacob. She died in the vicinity of Bethlehem way back in the patriarchal period. And so Rachel is affiliated with the city, the town, the region uh, of Bethlehem. And the mourning that was referred to in Jeremiah was the carrying away of the children, the young people, into exile by the Babylonians. And Herod is forcibly removing children from parents. And he's, he's establishing that Jesus' life has a connection to the Exodus, but there's also a connection to the exile. And so this event connects Jesus' life to the exile that the nation of Israel experienced at the end of the reign of Jehoiakim at the hands of of the Babylonians. Finally, we see there is a return to Nazareth, verses 19 through 23. Once again, the angel appears to Joseph, return to Israel. So Joseph immediately obeys. As he goes back, he realizes that there is another Herod. This is Herod Archelaus. Herod's son is on the throne. He ruled from roughly 4 BC to 6 AD. 
Now, Joseph is warned in a dream not to go back to Bethlehem, which again, six miles from the seat of power, six miles from Jerusalem. So Joseph withdraws to his former hometown up in the north, the north of Israel. It's called Galilee, but his specific area he's going to is called Nazareth. Now, the, pro- the, the prophecy that's spoken at the end of this section is in verse 23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, we don't have a specific reference that we can go back to and say, ah, here's what Matthew was thinking about when he gave us this quotation. Um, There's a couple different theories on this. The one that I'll present to you here is that uh, Nazareth had a reputation in the New Testament days of being a worthless city. Nathaniel in John 146, when finding out that Jesus was from Nazareth, he commented, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And so Nazareth, Nazareth and people who are from it had a reputation of being worthless and despised. And that is definitely true of the Messiah. The, the prophets speak of the Messiah being one who would be despised. Isaiah 53, verse, chapter verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Psalm 22, 6. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone and despised by the people. And so one possible way that we can understand Matthew's uh, offer of Nazarene is that he would be despised by the people of his day. And this was certainly true. The principle for this second section is that Jesus fulfills prophecy in ways that are unexpected. Jesus fulfills prophecy in ways that are unexpected. I, Vicky and I watched a film a couple nights ago, Disney film, classic Disney film. Uh, the ending is exactly what you would expect it from a Disney film, right? Mega happy, everything's restored, all the conflict is resolved. Uh, and you walk away from the film and you're like, that's exactly why I thought it was going to end, right? I mean, there was no surprises. There was no disruption. It was just a feel-good, happy film. A couple of weeks ago, we watched kind of a classic robbery heist film. And it was from the late 60s. And uh, as the credits began to roll and the film was over, we're like, wait, was, was, that, was that the end? That's how it ended. That was the end. We had to go online to read... And figure out, was that actually the end? Was that the way that it ended? Really? Like, wait, never saw that coming. And, and, and so we, we sort of have both types of prophecy with Jesus. We have the ones that we would expect, right? The ones that everybody expected. This is about the Messiah. And then we have the ones that we didn't expect. The ones that we weren't anticipating. The, the, there are times where Jesus says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And we're like, whoa, I didn't know that was about the Messiah. But yet... Uh, as as Jesus's life unfolds, there are prophecies about him that we expect and don't expect that he fulfills. And we can experience this in our own lives. As followers of Jesus, you might say, hey, there's ways that Jesus has worked in my life and it was totally what I expected. I was able to overcome sin. I was able to overcome strongholds. I was able to have victory in this specific area of my life. And that might have been expected. You might have anticipated that Jesus as the one who uh, has uh, conquered sin and death has done that for you. There might be other ways that Jesus is working in your life where you'd say, like, I had no idea. I had no idea it was going to go that way. I had no idea that these events were going to happen in my life that caused X, Y, and Z to happen. There are other ways that Jesus has worked in your life that have just probably totally blew you away and that you would have never guessed that it was going to work out that way. 
Perhaps your story so far has been devoid of Jesus. Jesus doesn't have a place in your life. And my challenge to you is, will you continue to stay in the scriptures? Continue to look in the Old Testament and the New Testament to find out more about who Jesus is and find out if he's calling you to be a member of his family. Well, as we opened, I talked about package deliveries from Amazon or other internet vendors. And I think one of the things we can think about Matthew is doing in his gospel is to provide that delivery confirmation. Yes, this is the one that you were waiting for. This is the one that you were expecting. This is the one that was spoken about by the prophets. This is the one. Jesus is the one. And the challenge for you and I, as we look at Matthew, it isn't going to be so much to uh, agree with Matthew. Matthew provides a lot of proofs that Jesus is the king. The question for you and I is, are we going to be willing to live underneath his rule? Are we going to surrender our lives and our hearts to him? If Jesus is the one, if Jesus is the one that God said he was going to send, what are you and I going to do in response to that king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Matthew and for the way that you inspired him to write such a masterful book. Uh, Lord, it's a privilege that we have to still read it. Uh, It's been thousands of years since his writing, and Lord, you have had millions of people, probably, who have worked to bring this book to us today in 2021. Thank you for it. Lord, help us understand it and help us live differently because your word is living and active. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.